1: Hey folks, welcome into Ontwaveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic, where we are never rained out. I don't know what the rain out equivalent would be for a podcast. I guess it could be. Uh, Leaky roof would be sort of literal uh, comparison, but it could be, you know, if there was crazy breaking news that happened right when we were getting ready to record, as did just happen. Isn't that
2: right, Patrick Mooney? The podcast gods are smiling upon us, you know, that uh, props to Jesse Rogers broke it first and then uh, we confirmed it. That would be one of those really frustrating things to record an entire podcast episode and then have that uh, slip out. Uh, but yeah, probably took longer than maybe it should have, uh, reaching a settlement at 9.625 million, if I remember correctly. This is the Cubs
1: and Wilson Contreras, who... Otherwise, we're having their arbitration hearing today. This is Thursday, but right before we were recording, they came to an agreement.
2: There was, there's a story in Cubs lore that Gordon Wittmeyer, Paul Sullivan, told me. I believe like Carlos Zambrano, they had one of those arbitration hearings, and they like reached like the the steps of the office building in the Phoenix area when they finally reached a settlement. This is not quite as dramatic apparently this was supposed to be on uh via zoom according to Maddie Lee and uh Gordon Wittenmyer but uh so not quite the same dramatic scene of like Wilson Contreras in a suit and everyone being like wait 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 we got it but you know a well-timed tweet you can enjoy an off day in New York <laughs> and then uh, on Friday I'm sure every New York writer is going to be at his locker, ask him if he wants to be traded to the Mets or the Yankees. It's a perfect uh, setup for content creators.
1: Well, it is funny. So uh, there there are a lot of uh, reactions one could have to this news. I mean, first of all, it's just it's weird that there was going to be a hearing in the middle of the season in the first place. That, of course, was the residue of the lockout, which completely screwed up the offseason, the normal schedule, and I think is the reason why – the Cubs were willing to entertain a settlement today after previously sort of becoming one of those teams that was pure trial and file. Once you exchange numbers, no, no settlement talks. Even I think Jed Hoyer even said that earlier this season that there wouldn't be talks. Um, but unique circumstances this year. So fine, come to a settlement. So it's good in that respect. Just avoid any of the, potential rank or that could come out of a hearing. Uh, but that leads into the other layer of this, which is how much does that actually matter? You know, Wilson Contreras, of course, going to be a free agent after this season, still no indication from any corner that there are going to be serious extension talks before that time would arrive. And so that means the trade deadline will come with everyone on the same page that Contreras is going to hit free agency. And as we saw last year, and as uh, a level of logic dictates, that means the Cubs are going to need to explore the trade market. And so now um, his salary is set. So that component of uh, modest uncertainty about what the rest of his salary would be for this year is removed from the equation. And uh, while I don't think there is an explicit relationship between uh, you know, settling today and then being able to engage in more certain trade talks. I do think it, it there is some relationship between those factors in terms of um, now everyone can be on the same page when you're talking about, okay, how much of his salary are we going to take on? How much are you going to take on? And uh, like you said, Mooney, I do think with the Cubs going to New York and with the Yankees among the teams that could very conceivably use a player like Contreras I bet you we do flip into that pretty aggressively now where it's going to be trade rumor season and, and Contreras is going to be at the top of that
2: list. Yeah, I loved I believe it was opening day when Jed Hoyer said, well, it's our, our policy that we are file and trial like as if that's like. The Ten Commandments or the Treaty of Versailles or like some Supreme Court decision like (laughs) when left and right, there are other teams reaching settlements with players who are not nearly as decorated or as accomplished as uh, Wilson Contreras. And, you know, I think it it just makes sense to kind of do this and credit to Wilson for being very kind of generous uh, in terms of his public comments of saying, well, you know, we didn't have a lot of time to negotiate during spring training and giving allowances because of the lockout. You know, I really don't think this is much of a distraction for Wilson. Clearly his play does not reflect it, but you have to remember like how far this guy has come in his career and like how confident and comfortable he is right now. I think he knows uh, that largely this game is over that he doesn't know where and when it's going to happen but he is a very sharp observer of the clubhouse of the front office of the organization like he knows where this is heading that doesn't rule out that very narrow possibility that the cubs could try to re sign him we know historically we talked about this last year that that rarely happens except for like Aroldis Chapman that's kind of the only example we can uh point to but
1: you you don't put Jason Hamill in the same tier as a
2: role. That's is. that's a good point. I was you know I was thinking of Jason Hamill today because I think that might have been the last time the Cubs were at Yankee Stadium or at least the last time I was there. And he uh, went up against Tanaka and I think he beat him and that was one of those big like uh, you know Cubs whiff on Tanaka. What are they going to do? You know. <laughs> And no one saw a 97 win team, you know, a year later. Or Hamill coming back and you know pitching for you know a team that would go to the NLCS and uh, win the World Series uh, a year later. So a long rambling way of saying things can change quickly. But um, Jason Hamill, Yankee Stadium, I distinctly remember that and how cold it was uh, that day. I think we had a doubleheader because it was rained out a day before. Now it's all kind of blending together.
1: Uh, well, speaking of rainouts, and I mean, I joked at the top about it, but obviously the Cubs and Orioles postponed last night into August, which means the Cubs now will have played one game in the last four days, um, because of the scheduled off days that bookended that two game Orioles series. The week before, we had two doubleheaders for the Cubs. Uh, on the heels of a stretch where they had virtually no off days for the three weeks before that. And so um, that alone would be enough to really make your rotation wonky. But for the Cubs, there's also this layer of two injuries, uh, Wade Miley and Drew Smiley, that caused some guys to come up and fill in, caused another guy to move from the bullpen to fill in. You had Matt Swarmer sort of surprisingly throw two exceptional starts to the point where it's like, well, we have to give him another, you have to sort of just ride it while you can. But Miley is coming back tomorrow to start against the Yankees, which is all a way of saying the Cubs rotation is a mess right now. And not in the traditional way you would mean when referring to a mess of a rotation. It's more of a, how do you, how, I I just wonder how they're going to get everybody. The starts on a timing That makes sense because right now you're looking at a situation where everybody, no matter what you do, is going to be starting with at least an extra three or four or five days rest. And I don't I don't know how much that negatively impacts guys or not, but um, coordinating with that is they kind of have a six man rotation now unless Keegan Thompson gets bounced right back to the bullpen.
2: Yeah, you had a good summary on uh, Bleacher Nation this morning of where things stand. And you alluded earlier to uh, trade deadline season SZN, and that's definitely Wade Miley <laughs> uh, pitching at Yankee Stadium. He'll probably get about – I haven't done the math yet. It's probably like 10, 11, 12 starts before the trade deadline. Can I say I,
1: – I didn't mention this explicitly in writing it up, but in having this conversation now, I thought about it, you know, Tomorrow is the very first day that Miley is eligible to come off the IL and he's getting that start immediately, despite the fact that we have these other guys, right, who've had Mm -hmm. extra rest. To me, that was kind of telling that they're like, nope, he's good to go. We're starting him right away. It's a priority for us to get him on the mound right away.
2: No doubt. I mean, to build up his arm to kind of get some better feel for his pitches and hopefully like hit that groove. By early July, right? I mean, he's gone as long as he's healthy and, you know, he's not that top of the rotation starter. But to this point, he's been pretty durable and pretty effective on some really good teams. We all remember what the Brewers did in 2018. He was on that, like, awesome Astros team with with, uh, pitching behind Verlander. Uh, Known as a really great dude in the clubhouse. I mean, I was kind of joking when we went to Cincinnati. It was like, you know... Are they going to put a Wade Miley statue next to Pete Rose out there? Like, everyone from the Reds was, like, coming over, giving him hugs. He won, like, this, like, you know – They presented with some award, I don't know, either good guy award or picture of the year award, and, like, <clears throat> you can see it in the clubhouse now that we're back in there this season. Like, he's got this deal with, like, sketchers. He's handing out, like, flip-flops to everyone. <laughs> like, it's really kind of funny. Like, he's, like, he's uh, he's like passing out to reporters. He's like, feel this. These are really soft, like, and <laughs> – He's like, one of those guys like John Lester of just like giving out gear everywhere, uh taking care of his teammates. That's what you're gonna get with like Wade Miley.
1: I'm sorry. Michael, our producer, is gonna have to either figure out a way to edit this or just leave my dying laughter in the background because that's just I mean I'm just imagining. <laughs> Wade Miley with his long hair and his beard, walking around the clubhouse. No, seriously, feel these sketchers. Aren't they incredible? Do you want to try them on? No, he's um, asking, he was
2: asking guys. He's like, hey, uh, what's your size? And like, you know, he's like 12, 11. Oh. He's like, oh, these run. Oh. I forget if they run big or small, but he was kind of helping them with the, you know, if you're an 11, you should go with this. Yeah. If you're a 12, go he's with this. He's got one of those
1: foot-sizer, you know, those metal (laughs) foot-sizer things he he takes around with him.
2: He was not dressed in the Foot Locker referee shirt and black pants, (laughs) but he was, like, very eager. He had a huge box the other day and just kind of handing him out to guys. But that, you know, is kind of a beloved guy in clubhouses. I think you definitely – teams, when they're, like, asking their scouts for, like, you know, the makeup, you know, can we bring this guy in? Like, I think you'll see – a lot of teams are going to want Wade Miley uh, on their side head down the stretch as long as he's healthy. Like, I think mean, there's a lot of value in that. Not a huge salary, won't be an enormous prospect, to ask, but the Cubs should be able to get something good for him. And that's kind of what the rest of this, these next couple months will be about.
1: Yeah, we see every year, because the Cubs were on the other side of this for a number of years, that the starting pitching market at midseason is is always thin. I mean, you might have one or two guys that are like notable impact types, but generally that it just doesn't happen. And so tons of teams are looking for guys like Wade Miley, guys like Drew Smiley. If he gets healthy, they're just sort of capable back of the rotation arms that like, yeah, you know, help get you to the postseason. Then you figure it out if you have other injuries or whatever. So yeah, getting him healthy, getting him, you know, demonstrably effective over the next month and a half is, is a priority for the Cubs. And, um, otherwise I do think it'll be interesting to see how much time is given to Matt Swarmer. Um, you know, we, I won't belabor it because we've talked about it on, on the previous two episodes, you know, a guy with essentially two pitches, it just doesn't strike you as like, oh, this is a a longer term starting pitching option for the Cubs, but, if he has multiple shapes on that slider, if there's you know significant deception with the fastball that just seems to carry over multiple starts, okay, well, let's, let's see. So that is to say, I kind of dig that he's staying in the rotation for now and is being made a priority as well. What'll be interesting to see is if that means the Cubs do go six man for a while, or if Keegan Thompson, like I said, just goes right back in the bullpen little uh, cubs have some time to figure that out and we know that these things sort themselves out sometimes but um thompson of course having his first rough outing of the year in a rainy baltimore game uh, wasn't wasn't commanding really well at all and he said he saw something in uh, some stills from after the game where his landing spot was was wrong and maybe that was messing up the kinetic chain and We'll see whenever his next outing is. But I I wouldn't be surprised, given the rotation stuff we just talked about, how everybody's bumped back a lot. I wouldn't be surprised if he pitches out of the bullpen for his next appearance just so that he's not sitting down for 10 days before he pitches next. Um, Anything else you wanted to add on rotation talk before we move on to uh, a little something else?
2: I think the only thing I would add is just they're probably going to hit a wall this year too, right, of just – I don't know, after that shortened spring training, pushing some of these younger pitchers uh, in a regular schedule, there's probably some value in a pause or a reset with some of these guys, but um, there are other guys that are definitely going to push of like, they have to be ready and healthy and pitching well in the last, whatever, week of July, beginning of August. And those guys should get precedence because that's what they said this whole year up for.
1: Yeah, spot on. And because we know that after the trade deadline, it's mm-hmm. likely there will be some vacancies in the rotation. And therefore, there's plenty of time to let those other guys make their starts then. Um, So, uh OK, Uh Mooney wrote something at The Athletic on Patrick Wisdom, and I think everyone should go read it because I think it is not only a good and interesting read on Wisdom specifically, but it is a reminder of how it can look when one of these um reclamation or later career shifting gears, change of scenery type guys goes as well as it reasonably can go. I think I think we would agree. I, I thought it was very smart of you to point out that he's essentially coming up on 162 games with the Cubs. Exactly, right? Saturday or
2: Yeah, the rain out kind of Mess with messed, me. Okay. That was, he was in the lineup. I'm like, all right, got 162. <laughs> because I, I know a bunch of people wrote on the one-year anniversary of his Cubs debut, and obviously their point was certainly true and valid of like, he's not going to play 162 games that ideally he'd be matched up, he'd be sitting, whatever. But yeah. 162 is just a nice round yeah. number that the uh, weather gods in Baltimore did not give me 162 exactly, but... You know, he That's got the nice round 40 home yeah. runs. That's a nice round number, too. Yeah, like I could run. tell. Like if it was 39, it would it. have been like, eh. yeah,
1: Yeah, you're like, all right, boom, 40. <laughs> 40 sounds like something. Um, and it is, but yeah, okay, you wouldn't play 162 games in a full season, but we can talk about it that way for purposes of just noting how good he's been. It was a 3.2 war with the Cubs over that time, which is, is sort of the... Measure of a very good regular, you know, well above average, not quite a star or all star level, but like just a very good above average regular. Which would be I worth
2: think, like what, $35, $40 million? I mean, I mean so, and he's getting if, paid if, half a million. If, roughly? Yeah. I
1: mean. If it's a free agent that you, you know, if he, if, if he were a free agent today, you know, it's like what kind of deal would he get? And he would get a, a multi year deal worth a good bit of money. And this is a guy who's still. Um, unfortunately for him, because of the way his career played out, he's still pre-arbitration for, I think, another couple of years, uh, into his thirties. And I think that is certainly a part of the reason he's going to be so valuable to the Cubs and, or if they end up discussing him with other teams, uh, because he's not going to cost a lot of money, but from a performance perspective, um, you know, taking over for Chris Bryant at third base is not an enviable task for anybody. And while I would not say that, uh, anyone expects him to have what replaced Bryant in terms of like the total level of ability, I would point out he actually has outproduced Bryant in that period of time in total value, just saying. And I think that for how the Cubs got him, you know, minor league signing, let him work at the alternate site to, to get ready essentially for 2021. You know, that's just such a win. It's just such a win. It's a win for him. He he deserves most of the credit, of course, for continuing to grind and work on his game. But clearly something clicked well with the Cubs. And it, I think it should serve as a heartening data point for the evolving hitting infrastructure. We talked for years about the Cubs pitching infrastructure, and we saw the success stories, usually on the relief side, but we saw they had kind of figured something out with bringing in guys on the pitching side like Wisdom and having some success. Uh, we hadn't seen that in a very long time on the positional side. Part of that was about opportunities. There weren't a lot of opportunities for guys to come in and get a lot of starts, but um, seeing it pulled off with Wisdom and Frank Schwindel has turned it around this year too. Although I'll leave that aside. Oh, and Rafael Ortega is actually hitting again this year. Just again, FYI. Um, But to see Wisdom, a guy who you would at this point, I think, feel very comfortable going into next year saying, yeah, he's the third baseman. We're good with that. I didn't see that coming. If you'd asked me that at this time last year, even when he was hot, I never thought he was going to settle into being a regular like this. And it's that's it's just very impressive. And I don't want to lose sight of that because there are so many other storylines to follow. And because it's he's maybe not, you know, a super huge impact guy. He's just a very solid player. You know, it just makes me happy to see.
2: If you go back to that uh, South Bend alternate site, the details are a little hazy. Obviously, there's not uh, a baseball reference section for uh, pandemic training camps. But the way it was described to me was like they were so thin on guys that there might only be like three or four hitters available a day. So guys like Brennan Davis and Christopher Morrell might go, like, 0 for 8, 0 for 9, 0 for 10, just, like, one, like, advanced pitcher after another. And Wisdom shows up, and he remembered it, like, first at bat, he drew a walk, and then he hit a home run. It's next at bat. Then he hit a home run off Braylon Marquez, and, you know, in he did not perform well for the Mariners. Obviously, they cut bait with him um, that August, even after signing him to a major league deal, which was kind of interesting for a guy uh, in his position. And you kind of laugh about like, wow, guy was, you know, he was practicing really well, but like, that was the internal reports on this guy. Like he was just like crushing it uh, kind of all of a sudden. And I think what we can take away is that, look, this guy was a first round pick of the Cardinals and say what you will with the Cardinals, they were really good at drafting and developing, like just straight out historically. They saw something in him. He was not – it's kind of hard, you you know, not to pick on Frank Schwindel, but like this was a guy who was a first-round pick, not like an 18th-round pick, and that you can just see it with your eyes, like the way he plays defense, his arm, his speed, his agility, and then these just like no-doubt home runs. I was thinking of that one he hit in Atlanta earlier this year. It was just like – just crushing balls that you know it kind of adds up and i'm with you i think you can go into next year hit pencil is and as you're starting third baseman feel pretty good about that they just need to stack several more on top of that and i think that's why you know i kind of wanted to give it some space and and see what happens and you know, Patrick Wisdom is not the biggest name to put on a headline, but he his body of work is legitimately impressive, and you have to give him credit for that. You have to give the Cubs credit for that. Now you just need to see it with you know, can Nico Horner stay healthy? What's is Nick Magical gonna go back to Iowa? Where's Clint Fraser? Can was it Michael one of your favorite things in life is uh Referencing Rafael Ortega as a potential trade trip—that's like <laughs> there's like a, yeah, a sign, like a sign in your mirror, like every morning of just like your people's words. Fred, yeah,
1: don't forget to mention <laughs> that every contender should be interested in adding a player like Rafael Ortega. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I I think it's it's a little too easy because of you know that wisdom emerged in the shadow of this clear transition in the organization about which fans had some very dark feelings and he's playing on a team both in the second half last year and this year that is not competitive. I think it's very easy for people not to divorce themselves from those stories to just look at the player, just straight up evaluate the player like you would anyone else and be like, Oh, this guy's legitimately good. Like he's just good. And uh an element to that that I want to note, and it is it's a bit on the early side to draw any conclusions. I did joke about it on an earlier episode, but uh, we're now three and a half weeks into Wisdom having switched to the hockey puck knob. And you don't want to attribute too much to like changes like that where it's like, oh, if somebody just changes their bat, boom, they're a totally different player. But the thing is, so it, he's raked since then. But set that aside, what stood out to me specifically is his strikeout rate since switching to the hockey puck knob is barely above league average. It's about 25%, which is crazy. This is a guy who was striking out 40% of the time, way, way, way above the leaders in, in baseball, but you tolerated it because his contact quality was also just right top three in baseball. And we talked at various times last year and early this year that, like, if he could just strike out 35% of the time, which is still egregiously bad, <laughs> but if he could just do that, he'd be a great player. And to date this year, he's around 35%, and he is just a just a really solid player. But, again, three and a half weeks now, it's it's quite a bit lower than that. And I just do wonder because he was a guy who wasn't striking out because he was chasing all the time. He was striking out because of the swing and miss in the zone, top third of the zone. I do wonder if that's the profile of someone for whom an equipment change where it just sort of rebalances the bat a little bit, maybe could lead to a little more contact. Like I I just do wonder if that's the profile, but in any case, even when he wasn't using the hockey puck nub, he was hitting and he's been this good player now for a full 162 games, and, and I'm just, I'm really, I'll be really curious to see now how he performs up through July, and what happens if and when a team like the Rays comes calling, and like, you know what, we'd, we'd kind of love to add him for the next three years, because we can afford him, and you know, are you guys interested? And I, I'd be curious to see how the Cubs would approach that.
2: Yeah, I feel like us talking about this is totally jinxed it to where he's probably going to go on like an 0 for 20 stretch, but Uh, Sorry, Patrick. I have not um, gone too far down that road in terms of reporting. Like, there are so many guys that the Cubs want and have to trade to salvage this year. I'm not sure how hard they can push that idea, but I think it's definitely an interesting one that they'd have to consider. I mean, on both sides of, like, you're saying, a team like the Reds. I mean, this dude is a really good defender at third base. You can move him around like he crushes the ball. Like, you know, and that is really valuable and I thought David Ross put it well. Like there's give and take with everything, right? Like there's no perfect player out there. They aren't robots that you can program and if this guy yeah, maybe he's going to strike out 3 times, but if he draws a walk and runs the bases really well and plays great defense and saves it for you on, on the other side. And if you know that the power is coming because you are kind of tailoring uh, some of his matchups that a team like the Rays or the Dodgers or the giant, whoever is not going to just pencil him in for 162 games. They're going to have their, Nerds crunch the numbers and look at, okay, wisdom can succeed against this guy. And that, you know, maybe it's great that he plays that off some defense, but we feel comfortable, you know, because we have a hole at first base or we need a corner guy for this series. Like there's a lot of value in that. And that's not, you know, his window because of his age and <laughs> the way these things work. It's not like you can just see it going that far off in the distance, but, you know, credit to him and, you know, this is one of those things where it's hard to kind of describe or quantify. But like these experiences has given him a, a lot of maturity and perspective. He was someone who, you know, according to people who worked with him in the past, was just super hard on himself at the beginning, just really just self-critical. And I think he's kind of grown a bit. Um, He's an intelligent guy. He hasn't let this go to his head, and he also has. You know, kind of a confidence. You just see him, the way he kind of walks around the clubhouse, where he interacts with teammates. Like he he knows he belongs here, and I think that, that'll that go a long way. And he can dance.
1: Exactly. If you've exactly. seen the I mean, that's uh how do you quantify that, the value of that? But uh no, it actually it is funny because it does probably speak a little bit to the confidence and to the athleticism and, you know, things that actually do matter. Um, But yeah, he really can get down. I see those videos. I'm like, damn, dude, I, that is, he can move. Uh <laughs> Okay. So the Cubs, like we said, go to New York this weekend to play the Yankees. And yes, that means Anthony Rizzo uh, and, you know, taking advantage of the short porch there in right field. He will probably hit six or seven home runs during the series just to really needle, Cubs fans who are lingering on that, Uh, but should be fun. It's always, you know, maybe the Cubs get stomped, but like I am of the mind where it's I'm going to enjoy seeing them play in Yankee Stadium, play the Yankees because whatever, they're probably going to lose a lot of games this year anyway. Why not at least have a nice marquee matchup to enjoy and see Aaron Judge destroying the ball and you know, see what a really good team looks like (laughs) DJ LeMayu, Glaber oh, He's. I think they aren't hitting right. Like, I mean, they'll, they're probably saving it for the Cubs, but I do believe they had had <laughs> DJ LeMayu.
2: Struggles. If he's in the, I'm assuming he's still healthy. He, he's going to hit against the Cubs. He's going to have a monster series. Put that down.
1: And Gordon Whitmire will write an article
2: about it i mean there's the, i mean if you look at his performances against the cubs with the rockies who just <laughs> destroy he, did, he always the cubs. yeah
1: you would think he was like a 1400 ops guy if you only were aware of his appearances against the cubs um but you never know ian stewart might make it back for the cubs one of these days That. uh there was, a, there was a pitcher in that trade too. The Cubs also got uh, Casey Weathers. I think he's a pitching
2: coach. Boom. Now. Yes. I was like, he's a, I like, coach he's a yeah, he's a, right? I think
1: he's a, yeah, I think he's like a, a really well regarded pitching coach, actually. I was just, I can't remember what it was, but I was reading earlier this year something about that. And I'm like, oh, he was the guy in the uh, Ian Stewart trade. Um, so, yes, uh, we'll leave that. But like Mooney said, DJ LeMahieu will probably have a huge game this weekend. So, brace yourself for that. Um, Okay. Good good talk. You noticed by the way that uh you didn't hear from Sahadev Sharma in this episode. That's not cuz he isn't here. I just kept cutting him off every time he tried to say something. I interjected immediately and just passed it to Mooney. So, hopefully you enjoyed this uh 100% Sahadev-free <laughs> episode. <laughs> no, he's going It's to really going to
2: sting when he gets, you know, a a long weekend in New York, a full full trip out there. I'm sure he's really going to be uh He's uh, hurt while uh gallivanting uh throughout Manhattan and the Bronx so
1: going to the posh clubs as he does. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he he'll be like, "Oh, I wish I had been back to do the podcast instead of this." Uh as he uh, you know, gets his third bottle of Cristal. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good talk, folks. Uh we appreciate you. This is on Waveland It's the Cubs podcast here at the Athletic. I am Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. This is Patrick Mooney. Get his at the athletic, including that great wisdom piece. Make sure you check that out. We'll be back at you next week, and we hope you have a good, safe, healthy, and happy weekend. Take care.